any of that. Um, and then just a quick announcement. I'll, I'll send out a, a message about this later in the week. But Friday afternoon at 4.30, some of us who can are going to gather at Cheryl Trim's house and just pick up uh, a few things, odds and ends, that are um, collecting weeds and whatnot in her backyard. We're just going to help her straighten a few things up uh, that are um, in need of a little bit of assistance. So we'll have a little volunteer opportunity for you Friday at 4.30 at Cheryl's house. We will send out the details, but if you want to mark your calendars now, that would be great. Um, all right. What else? Why don't we have all of our important people come down to the front? We'll do that. Well, you want to do that first? Yeah, okay. Let's do the blueprint slideshow. Y'all can sit right there. You're good. Come on down. So this is what we did this week. We're going to just show some slides. We don't have any music or anything. We'll do that next week. Um, but uh, these are just a few of the slides from our blueprint trip. Do you know what the blueprint trip is? So we go down to urban San Antonio, and we, f we help people fix up their houses. There are people who are living at one and a half times the national poverty level or lower, and Blueprint Ministries collects all the stuff they're going to need to fix up the house, and then we come down as volunteers to do the work. And so these are some of the projects we were on this week. Go ahead and just take us in. There's the, the um, somebody help me with, well, yes, it's the homeowner, <laughs> Rosalba. Rosalba is her first name. And there's some of our crew there. Um, that's her brother, Pepe. And then we'll just keep on moving through these. We did, uh, we finished off, the group that came the week before us, put the two sides of the roof on, and then we did the ridge vent and cap uh, on top of all that. So we finished the roof job. You can see the condition of the house at when we got there. This was taken on our first day there. Uh, go ahead and roll on. So we had our um, couple of our youth who were dedicated to cutting the ridge caps uh, for, the, for the roofing job. Keep on. And then you can see some of the disrepair of the of the back of the house as we found it keep on rolling there's a scraper high five tatum and miguel uh, annie's in the background this is us just preparing the house for uh, primer and then paint so here we go keep on there's your pastor and one of your elders uh, who were put at the uh, saw table so we were basically just uh, measuring and cutting the siding that the kids were putting on to replace the rotten stuff. And you can keep going. There's Allie Townsend, the beautiful, wonderful Allie with her power washer. What else we got? There's Jackie. So this is Superwoman, by the way. Jackie would wake up in the morning. She would drive down to Blueprint. She would feed 150 people breakfast. And then she would get in her car and drive to our job site and do stuff like this all day. And then at about 3.30 or so, she would drive back to Blueprint and feed everyone dinner. She was in charge of the kitchen and its volunteer crew the whole week. Uh, and she was on our job site busting her hump to make sure that we blessed this homeowner. So thank you, Jackie. We'll keep rolling. There's Christy, who coordinated all this. Keep going. There's Christy and Kevin not working, which is <laughs> surprising for Christy, but not for Kevin. Yes. All right. Three Stooges. Uh, is that Jack on the left? So that's Jackie's husband, Jack, on the left, I think. Is that right? Yes. And then a couple other goofballs in there. Keep on rolling. There we go. There's one of our youth giving a fist bump to our homeowner. Um, and I'll just, uh, one, one thing that was kind of amusing was, so her first name is Rosalva, and that's her house, and we had scraped it clean of all the flaky paint, which is a lot of work, and then we primed it white, but she had sat down with someone to pick out the gray that she wanted her house to be, and it's a lovely shade of gray, it really is, but when we finished priming the house, she was a little bit confused. And I think she said to Miguel, like, I thought it was going to be gray. You know, <laughs> like, it is. It is. We're not done. We just had to prime. And she didn't understand that we were going to come back and make it gray. 
So there's the before picture, I think, on Monday. And then here is the after picture. And we got everything except for that peak is still with just primer above that little porch roof. But we put a new porch roof on, ridge cap, ridge vent, and cap on the top. And then we fixed her screen door. And she picked out this wild electric blue uh, that she wanted her trim work to be. And so um, the final day of the trip, uh, she was she was in tears, and she she looked in kind of like in a emotional s state of frustration, and she said in Spanish, "I have no way to pay you." And Miguel and I were standing there with her, and we were able to com just share with her like the the payment is being here with you and being able to uh, bless you. And I said we came here just to share the love of Christ with you and to brighten up your day and to make you know that there's hope and love in this world. And she was just extremely grateful. And I told her, you know, our payment is your gratitude. Your payment is the blessing of, of being here with us and same for us all the way. I was like, this is a win, win, win. Everybody wins. We had a great time. Um, she was truly blessed and, uh, and then there will be other blueprint teams, I believe, coming in to the interior of her home and fixing up some things that are in need of, of repair there. But that's the way blueprint works. They usually start with a roof, get her all dried in, and then um, they begin the work on the interior after the outside is done. So we got, we got to the point where the next team can go in and focus on some more uh, significant improvements for her. But that was the trip. That's what, it, what's what happened. And uh, we'll have a more full report and more slides next week, uh, some of which are hilarious. So, you know, you can look forward to that. Yes, sir. Clay. Yes. Was it not gray in that last shot? It's a very light gray. Yeah, it was a very light gray. And you can see above that porch, that's the white, the primer. And then the sides are gray. I don't know if that shows up well. And then there's some fat guy painting her door over there. I don't know what that's going on there. but, um, And uh, Christy, Christy and Annie um, got some cans of blue spray paint and painted the iron bars. They had to put, like, a backer board behind them so they didn't paint the windows. Really, really tedious, detailed work spray painting iron bars that are still on the house. And uh, um, they both truly, genuinely looked like Smurfs when the whole thing was over. They had this thin, thin coat of blue all over. And they had worn like a little respirator mask, like an N95 mask. That was blue. Like, it was, it was great. And then they would take it off, and they had blue here. And, yeah, it was great. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it was a blessing to come together and to see everybody working together. And is is Jackie in a coma, Jack? She's in the, she's in the oh, she's volunteering in the nursery. She is Superwoman. Okay, all right. Say again. I don't think I understood that. Oh, you have a birthday coming up. Awesome. How old are you going to be? Five? Wow. July 15th. Very good. All right. This is awesome. I like birthdays. Um, by the way, happy Father's Day to those of you who are dads. Um, you're a blessing to your families, and I appreciate that. Uh, so I have a question for y'all. Um, what is God? Love. God is love. Very good. Any other answers? Faith. We have faith in God. Faith and love. 
Anything else? Listen to this. This is from the book of 1 John, and it says, God is light. Why would the Bible say that God is light? Because he made us. Huh? That, that works pretty well. All right, I want you to do something with me. All right, we're going to close our eyes, and then we're going to use our hands to cover our eyes, and you're going to tell me what you see. You see black? You see Jesus? I don't see that. All I see is black. You see your imagination? That's pretty cool. I think I saw my soul. Dark and black. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Did I say that out loud? Sometimes, Wesley, I just say what I'm thinking. It's not good. Yeah, no, it's not always okay. It is not always okay. All right, you can open your eyes. When you open your eyes, you take your hands off your eyes, and you open your eyes, what changes? The light. Because of the light, you can what? You can see, right? You can see because there's light, and God is the same way. His love is the light that shines on our hearts. It allows us to see what is good, what is right, what is true, what is beautiful. All the things that matter in life are ours because of God's love. He is the light that gives hope and faith and meaning to our lives. God wants you to live in the light. He doesn't want you stumbling around. What if you closed your eyes, covered your eyes, and tried to run around the room? What would happen? You'd get hurt. Yeah, you'd get hurt. God doesn't want that. He wants you to live in the light of his love. God is light. And God is love, right? And he loves you. And he wants you to walk in the light of his love each and every day. One of the places we find that light is in his word, the Bible. It gives us direction. It gives us clarity. It helps us to see what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, etc. I think you get it. Can I pray for you guys? Yes. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear God, thank you that you are light that your son Jesus is the light of the world, that by the light of your love we see what is right and good in this world and what you want for us, what you want from us, that your light allows us to see that you love us and that you are guiding us each and every day of our lives. Help us, Lord, to stay in your light, to walk in your light, to see all that you have for us by the light of your love. I pray your blessing over these children as they study more of your word and hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we come before you as we open your word. We pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning uh, those things that we need to hear, that our eyes would be opened to your love, your grace, your purpose for our lives, that you would help us to see that which you want for us. And Lord, as we do that, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our fears and failures, and we thank you for the hope and the strength that are ours in Jesus Christ. We confess to you that we are sinful at heart, and we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours through your son and his work on the cross. Lord, we 
pray for those that we know and love, that we are in conflict with, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift to you uh, those who are sick. We pray for your healing mercies over them. I give you thanks for the progress that my brother-in-law Lou is making in his battle with cancer, and I just pray that you would continue that to full healing. We lift to you this morning, Lord, those who grieve. We lift up Cheryl Trim and her family as they mourn the loss of her dad. And we just pray your comfort over them. And Lord, we lift up our nation at every level of government, elected and appointed. And we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before those who represent us. And Lord, we lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. And we pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. Lord, we lift up those who've returned home changed as a result of their service and sacrifices. And we pray that you would use us, your church, to pour out your healing upon them, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, that you would be at work in your church uh, this morning and throughout the week ahead here at Hope and around the world. We pray especially for those churches that we are connected to through our denomination and through our missions giving. We pray your blessing over those works in other places that we are connected to, in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we just pray your continued progress in those places. We ask that your word would continue to go forth through the mouths of your people and that it would not return to you empty. We lift to you the church plants that are going on in Texas through our denomination in New Braunfels, Austin, and in Dallas, and we just pray your blessing over those works. We pray you would be with us now as we open your word, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. We are in a series of messages this summer that is moving through some of the smaller, shorter little books towards the back of your Bible. Uh, these are all right before you get to the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. And they are written by various authors. Uh, the ones we're looking at the past couple of weeks and this week uh, have been written by the Apostle John. And there are, uh, it's interesting to note that John doesn't actually use his own name in the letters, the, any of First John, Second John, or Third John. But if you look at the style of his writing, and in particular the key words and themes that are prominent in John's mind, it is very, very clear that all three of these letters were written by the same author as the author of the Gospel of John. And it also reading First, Second, and Third John gives you a little bit of insight into why. Uh, the Gospel of John is so different from the other three Gospels in the New Testament. It is, it is a very different style. It is a very different focus in terms of the themes and truths that John is trying to uh, engage in his, in his writings. But it's those, the Gospel of John is very consistent with these letters from John in terms of those keywords and themes. Um, I'm just going to I'm going to tell you something that you probably don't care about, but, but hopefully you'll at least you know, find it lightly amusing. First um, John, which is the letter we're looking at this morning, is really not a letter. It's more of a sermon. It's a sermon that John prepared to be read at various churches around, probably around the city of Ephesus, um, where he had been in ministry for many years. And now John is probably older, he's looking back, and he's watching the conflicts that are emerging in these churches that he was once very close to, and he has some concerns that they don't lose sight of what's most important. In the midst of the conflict, keep your eye on the ball. It's the love of God. And so John will focus on uh, two or three really key themes, and then he will use some really sharp contrasts in imagery to talk about, to develop those themes. But those themes are really love. That's probably the main theme in the, in the letter of 1 John. 
And then he'll use all these contrasts between light and dark, between good and evil, between truth and lies. And you'll see these contrasts. He's, he's really all about it. And I could not remember the name. There was this thing that we had, Mike, when we were kids. And you, you put it, you, it's like a bunch of pieces of plastic and they're little spirals with sprockets and you put it on a piece of paper. Spirograph. Spirograph. That's it. All right. So if you look at the writings of, if you look at the writings of like the Apostle uh, Paul, right, they are very logical. He uses, he uses a style that's called didactic. You get that from like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and Parmenides and all these other classical Greek philosophers. You use logic. You build an argument. You, you build an argument like you would a brick wall, one brick on top of the other, and each one rests on its predecessor, etc. right? And then you have a solid argument. John writes like a spirograph. He, he puts his pen in the little sprocket of light, and then he just like moves it around the page, and one continue, and you, you lift it all off, and you go, wow, that's spectacular. But he doesn't, he doesn't build, he, it's more like John is weaving that with, with a single, with a, a few special threads, he's weaving something together, and he goes back and forth and in and out, and he uses contrast to hi, sort of highlight what's important to him. It's a very, very different style of writing, and here's where it's mildly amusing. I hate this stuff, right? I like the ordered, I don't hate God's word. Please don't misunderstand me, uh, so let's be clear, all right? Um, I much prefer the ordered, logical, let's build a wall argument style. This is way too touchy-feely for me. And he's all over the map, and he's looping back here and over there, and he's just, but really, when you step back and look at it on the whole, it is quite beautiful, and it is quite impressive that John can emphasize the themes that he wants to emphasize as artfully as he does. And so we're looking at something very, very different from most of the rest of the New Testament, um, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot here. And so we're going to look at this sort of more poetical style of writing uh, and try to, try to just understand what are these key themes, what are these main ideas, what is it that John wants us to take away from this portion of God's Word. To begin, I'm going to confuse you a little bit, and I'm going to read from John 1, not 1 John 1, but John 1. That's the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in your New Testament. And I wanted, I'm just going to read you this, these few verses so that you can see the similarities in the thematic and stylistic way in which John writes. So from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So just the first five verses of the Gospel of John. And now we're going to go to the first uh, to, well, to all of chapter 1 of the letter called 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you can see just in these few words uh, the similarities between the gospel of John and the first letter of John. You can also see the use of these contrasting images of light and darkness, of truth and deceit or lies. You can clearly see John like weaving into one idea out of it and then back into it again uh, as as he moves through. Just his mind is just really masterful in the way that he weaves these thoughts together. And so here we are in this place where we are listening to the words of someone who was an eyewitness to the life of Christ. This is John, who literally was Jesus' best friend on earth. If you read the Gospel of John, whenever John refers to himself, uh, he doesn't use his name. And he'll say things like, the one to whom Jesus was the closest, or something like that. He uses phrases like that to refer to himself. And it's amazing that we have these words from the heart of someone who was there, who not only saw Jesus and heard Jesus, but who touched him and sat with him. Someone who heard the thoughts of Jesus that were not recorded in the Gospels, who had conversations with his creator and savior that we know nothing about, except the fruit of those interactions are here on this paper, in these pages. The heart of a man transformed by the grace of his Messiah. And so, John, much like the churches to whom he is writing, most of the people in these churches would have grown up Jewish, and then they would have come to some understanding of Jesus as their Messiah uh, under the, well, John came to that realization probably primarily after the crucifixion, and then these churches in Ephesus that he's writing to probably came to that awareness because of people like Paul and John who were there ministering to those churches in those places at that time. And so you have this very early glimpse into um, what John thought, what he taught, what he thought was most important. And I want to emphasize this one more time. John is older as he's writing this, and he's been in these churches. He's not there when he writes this letter, but he's aware of the conflicts that they're going through, leadership conflicts, theological conflicts, disagreements. Well, I think we call that humanity, right? And, and John is writing into that context of, of disarray. He's writing this beautiful tapestry with these threads of love and truth and light that he wants them to be able to focus on what matters the most. So let's start with John's introduction to his letter. That's verses 1 through 4. You can uh, see the shift. He says in verse 4, we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. So he's, he's basically introduced the letter, and then he's sort of tacked on that that finish line right there, like this is why we're doing this. And then in verse 5, this is the message we've heard. He starts going into the what. And so we're going to look first at verses 1 through 4, and I think what John wants for us 
his, his readers, if you will, is that we come into true life. That we come into that state of transformation that John experienced through Christ where we find true light. That we are to first embrace the word of life. And this is a, this is a very loaded phrase that John uses. Um, the Greek philosophers are about 400 some odd years before this maybe 500 years before John, but 400 before Jesus. No, don't, don't do the math. 450, whatever. Um, and so Plato, Socrates, Aristotle talked about this idea of the logos. You use that word frequently when you talk about biology, the logi, the logos. That's where that comes from. It means the central essence of something. So biology is the, is the study of the central essence of life. Uh, theology is the study of the central essence of God. Any ology, any logos, is the study of the central essence of that thing. And the Greek philosophers talked about this word, this, this central essence of all things, and they had that one word for it called the logos. Well, John uses that word knowing fully how loaded it is. And when he says in these passages, you know, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the logos of life, the central essence of all life. What we have seen and touched and known, I want to make known to you the central essence of all things. This is God. God is this word of life. We are to embrace him if we are going to come into true life. And John elaborates, if you want a, a, a more robust elaboration on that word of life, read the first chapter of the Gospel of John. I gave you five verses earlier. Read that whole first chapter. It is astonishing. Um, it is, John makes the greatest claim of any person who ever lived, he makes this claim about Jesus that he is the central essence of all life, of all existence, of everything, that he is God. And so this is where it begins, embracing what John calls the word of life, the central essence of everything. The eternal word became flesh. This idea that that eternal essence of all things became human and lived a human life, not, not at, in a palace. He was born in a barn on a dirt floor and laid in a spit-covered feeding trough in rags. That's how the central essence of all things came into human existence. It's a little bit different than what we might expect from something of that magnitude. And John emphasizes, this is, this is it. This is the one I want you to know. He's real. He became human, and our eternal life came from his death. That is, this eternal essence of all things, without sin, without blemish, without any corruption in its being laid down its life on the cross so that we could have forgiveness and grace and life eternal. And so this is where John begins, that we need to come into true life by embracing the word of life and by joining the fellowship of life. John says, I, I'm telling you this because I want you to be part of the family of the Father and Son. I want you to have brothers and sisters. I want you to have people you can trust. I want you to have people that when you have conflict, you resolve it. I want you to have a place in God's family. And John says in verse 3 that he says this 
so that you too may have fellowship with us, that is the family, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So there are several things going on here that are really significant. One is that John is, is conflating or joining together the Father and the Son as God, as the one true central essence of all things. This is God. And not only is John part of that union with God because he's purchased by the blood of Christ, but you are invited into that place of harmony and peace and eternal love because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. And so we have to look at this truth, this transformative claim that John is making. And I don't know about you, but here's what I do with it. I, I go, I, t I project myself into, I don't know, a Wednesday afternoon. And there's not necessarily a whole lot of Jesus in my Wednesday afternoon or Friday morning, or you name the time other than right now. I kind of, you know, I always, um, yeah, my, my kids joke with me whenever I lose my temper. It's like, yeah, and, and Sunday you can go preach the gospel and tell people how much Jesus loved them. I'm like, <laughs> right? That we have to be, we are invited to, to take the central essence of all things into our Wednesday, into our frustration, into our job, into our family, into whatever it is where there is conflict or disarray or disorder or what have you. We're invited to bring this truth to bear on those places. That's what God did when he became flesh. He brought himself into these places of human existence that are not pleasant, that are not easily resolved. And we are to find him there in our own lives, to be part of the family of the Father and of the Son. And I love the way John puts his words in verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is another word that he uses throughout his writings. Um, but we are invited into the blessing of common joy. What do I mean? So this fellowship that we are a part of is not one that we paid into. I, I promise you, I do not deserve to be standing where I am. Um, I am absolutely as human as you are and probably worse if you're pebby. I'm way worse. That's, that's just a joke. But I don't belong here. A and guess what? You don't either. This is the basis of our common joy that I am the recipient of a grace and a love that I do not deserve, and you are too. And because of that, we are a family. We are the family of the undeserving. We are the people who do not belong here. I do not deserve the blessing that you bring to my life. I don't. And that, brothers and sisters, is why we are a family. Because we realize we were brought here by the blood of another. And we'll, we'll get to that. John, John will elaborate on that in a moment. Come into true life. That place where you are redefined by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Through the merits of God's son, his work, his finished work on the cross. You are brought into the fellowship. Come into true life and step into true light. John makes his first point of his letter in verse 5. It is really simple. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, 
that God is light. And he will go on. In him is no darkness at all. And you can see the beginning of John moving these contrasts of light and darkness in and out of his tapestry. We are to see the contrast that, that John is setting before us. And then, as I said, this is, this is really, um, it's difficult to like move through 1 John in my style, which is logical order. And so I've got to go to verses 6, 8, and 10 and find their commonalities. And then I've got to go through verses 5, 7, and 9 and five, find their, com because John just keeps sweeping back and forth through these themes and connecting them all together. And it, it's beautiful. I don't want to detract from that, but it drives me crazy when I try to make order out of it. So there you go. So this contrast is a call to step out of the darkness. And the darkness is really simple. It's only seeing the world through my perspective. That's the darkness. If I only have my view of the world, I am in darkness. I can't see what God wants me to see. And so John begins by saying, God is light. There's no darkness in him. You, if you, if you say you're in God's family and you walk in selfishness, you miss the point. You're off the mark. You're not where God wants you. He wants you in the light. Step out of the darkness and let go of the lies. John uses this contrast between truth and lies or truth and deceit, depending on how he words it, um, several times just in this short passage. <clears throat> to live, to let go of these lies that we live by means to live in harmony with God's love. And what I've done is I've just taken verses 6, 8, and 10, and I've put them, I've reworded them in the positive. So verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, what does John want for us? He wants us to live in harmony with God's love. Harmony, not contrast. And then verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are to, verse 6, live in harmony with God's love. Verse 8, live in humility through confession. This is one of the most important aspects of our faith. That we practice this painful exercise of confession that we sit down with God and we say, I blew it. I chose darkness over light. I, I chose me over you. I chose myself over others. I'm sorry, forgive me. Be at work within me that I might live in light and in harmony with who you are and what you want for me. Harmony with God's love, humility through confession, and God wants us to live in honesty from his word. Verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We are called to live honestly before God, to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge our need for his grace, and to listen to his word and what it calls out of us, that we can be transformed from the selfish people that we tend to be into a family that lives in harmony with God, in humility, and in honesty. We're to see the contrast between our sin and our salvation. And we are to walk in the light of God's love. John reminds us 
that we are called to live out one message. God is light. That there is, through the work of our Creator, a way to live that is different from the self-protection, the hatred, the resentment, the fear, everything else that drives us in unhealthy ways in life, there's something different. There's a God who says, I am light. Come to me and you will be able to see the world differently. We're to live out that one message that God is light. And let me let me try to articulate for you, uh, I think this is relevant to you. I'm going to start with the audience to whom John is writing, which is predominantly, they're, they're little house churches. It was illegal to be a Christian at this time. And so the churches that met, met in people's houses. And they would just fill up a living room and they would talk quietly so they didn't bring attention to themselves. And most of those worshipers had grown up Jewish. And they were in, in Ephesus and other places, they were either like non-Jews who had come to a synagogue and learned a lot and were really interested, but maybe hadn't taken that final painful step to become Jewish. We won't talk about that right now. Um, and, and then people who did grow up Jewish who had heard this new message of their Messiah and had come into this new understanding of salvation through Jesus Christ. These were the primary participants in these churches. And so when John says God is light, he's saying something radically different from what they grew up with. What they grew up with was pretty simple. Here's the Bible. Here are all the rules that you have to follow. If you screw them up, you got to make a sacrifice. you got to pay for that sacrifice. And you you got to, like, do better. And it was this constant weight of obeying the law that drove first century Judaism. That, incidentally, is not the way God intended it to be, but that's what it had become by this point in history. And John is saying something radically different. He just says, God is light. That's the message. So... What that does is it takes you from trying to obey the rules to stepping out into the light and being able to follow your heart spiritually, which is a really dangerous thing. And John says, just step into the light. You'll be able to see and you'll be able to make good choices there. You'll have a different perspective. You'll have a different purpose. You'll understand. And so we are called to walk in the light, to step out into the light, to live from the heart, not from the rule book. This is very, very different from what these people had grown up with. We're to live out the one message that God is light, and we're to live in the one fellowship that is the family of the forgiven, bought by the blood of Christ. He says in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. That we are the gathering of those who have been forgiven. That is our common ground. That is our point of unity. That is why we can resolve our differences because we've all been through the same grace. We've received something we did not deserve. We are the family of the forgiven. And to walk in the light, according to John, is to live out the one message that God is light, to live in the one fellowship of the forgiven, and to live by the one grace John reminds us that confession in Christ is cleansing. God is faithful. He is just. He is loving. And when we come to him and confess, what does he say? 
I forgive you. You are forgiven. And I want you to think of all of the unhealthy ways in which we let sin define who we are, who we are. And it might be my sin, or it might be someone else's sin against me or against someone else in the past. It could be any, I mean, there's so many angles to this, it's hard to describe. But we will want to be defined by that sin. We will want to be defined by what that person did to me or by what I did in the past that I'm ashamed of. And Jesus says, I forgive you. I love you. I want to redefine who you are, how you see yourself, and, and the why of your life. You are no longer living in resentment towards someone else in, in a, with a sense of revenge. You're no longer living defined by sin, yours or anyone else's. You're defined by my sacrifice on the cross. My blood is yours. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we forget how important the discipline of confession is. And we forget how deep your grace and forgiveness are. And Lord, we are thankful that we are redefined by the blood of your Son. That he washes away the ways in which our sin and the sins of others try to define us. That he makes us clean before you where there is light and love and peace and joy. Lord, restore us to the joy of our salvation. To that place where we realize that we are given something we don't deserve. Where we look at those around us as those who are in our family. Where we find your grace, your forgiveness, your hope, your love, your light, your joy each and every day. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might reflect the beautiful light of your love to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.